you can have a seat. I know the Holy Spirit's up to something always, but it's fun to um, get to see specifically when you got four people, myself included, who don't, I mean, maybe the three ladies got together before this. To my knowledge, I didn't. Uh, But to hear so many reoccurring themes and then see where we're headed this morning um, is exciting to me. So in the time we have remaining, uh, I want to dive into Acts chapter 7, and I want to be expedient because uh, the gals preached much better uh, than I could coming out of their experience. And so, uh, but I, I want to put an exclamation point on that uh, with our conversation this morning. So Acts chapter 7, uh, what we see in the beginning is Stephen being accused uh, of speaking blasphemous words against Moses, which uh, is like, a okay, that's strange, blaspheming Moses, uh, but by blaspheming or speaking stuff that the religious leaders considered to be false about Moses, they were, uh, he was speaking that against the law of Moses, which was like central to their identity, the Old Testament law that defined here's who we are versus the nations around us. And uh, by speaking against Moses, he spoke it against the law of Moses, and by speaking against the law of Moses, um, he spoke it, in their minds, he was speaking against God, because that's where the law came from. So I see the logical thing. And so they're upset that Stephen um, is, is saying these things about who Jesus is. Now, keep in mind, a few uh, last week, we talked about how um, we're operating inside of the giftings that God has given us. It takes all of us to make uh, the kingdom of God move forward. But then here we get a picture of Stephen moving outside of what his gifting was, where uh, uh, he gets to declare God's truth to the people Listening to him. In Acts chapter 4, um, we get this glimpse of uh, they were being persecuted, the, the Jesus followers being persecuted, and they get together and they pray. And they don't pray for the persecution to stop, which is really interesting, but what they pray for in that moment is boldness. So not, Lord, please take us out of this, but instead, Lord, please help us endure this. Give us boldness to be able to walk through this. And so here in in all of Acts chapter 7, we see Stephen declaring boldly who God is. And he really gives us a master class in, uh, here's your fancy uh, Bible college word for the day, contextualization. Contextualization, meaning uh, contextualization is taking God's truth and applying it to a particular people at a particular time. Not that God's truth changes ever, but Stephen saw all of these people who were so worked up about Moses, and he said, you want to talk about Moses? Let's talk about Moses. Let me, uh, let me show you who Moses was pointing to uh, in reference to Jesus. So he walks through the history of God's people and how time after time after time, God was faithful even when uh, the people of Israel weren't faithful. They weren't faithful to God's law. They weren't faithful to the commandments. They weren't faithful uh, to the covenant God would made with them. But time after time, God was faithful in the midst of that. And so Stephen was, was bold, and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. And Acts chapter 6 says he's filled with wisdom, and he has all of this stuff going for him, and we see him take this big stand in front of the religious leaders. And it's beginning to be painted like a, a bit of a movie. He takes this stand, he says, I'm going to stand up for what's right. I'm going to proclaim God's truth to the people listening to me. And let's see what happens in this beautiful moment 
When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. Like they were really, really angry. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. At this, this if this isn't 2023 uh, of people who don't want to listen to us uh, as Jesus followers, I don't know what is. At this, they covered their ears and yelled at the top of their voices and rushed him. When someone doesn't want to listen to you, it's just a lot of loud noise on the other end. And so they rushed at him, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees, cried out, Lord, do not hold the sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. He died. He takes this big, courageous stand, and then they stone him. They, they literally took rocks and threw them at him, and he died. I think a lot, in a lot of ways, we have the phrase I came up with this week was we have Disney-fied, Disney-fied our relationships with Jesus. And I think, I think it's good. I think there's some element of it where it's like being faith-filled of what will the outcome of any situation will be. But I think in some instances, we expect something that God maybe never promised. Uh, it makes me think of movies, and again, I don't. This is not a condemnation on these movies. I, I will say, and if uh, you can disagree with me if you want, but I will say these movies are incredibly cheesy. I'm not saying they're bad movies or they're wrong movies, uh, but I think of a movie like like uh, Facing the Giants. Okay, has anybody ever seen Facing the Giants? It's Christian. Oh, okay. <laughs> I. <laughs> uh, uh, Christian movie uh, made by a church out of, I think, Georgia. Um, and, it, like, this church was like, hey, we're going to, like, bring God into media. And we're going to create, like, pretty high-quality, all-things-considered films. And I, I applaud them for that. This is wonderful. Let's make movies that are wholesome. You go to the movies anymore, and they're, I mean, they're not God-centered. So, like, they, I think there's an admirable thing. And I don't think there's anything wrong with the movie. So hear me. Loud and clear. This is, again, not a condemnation against the movie. But it paints a picture for us of, I think, for me included, what we paint our lives to be. And so, in essence, uh, there's this uh, high school football team that is uh, just on the struggle bus. They're losing. Um, they can't seem to, to buy a point. They, they never win. And the coach has this moment of surrender to Jesus. He's like, I want Jesus to invade every area of my life. I want him to invade my marriage. Him and his wife are struggling to have kids. Um, I want him to invade how I coach, all of this stuff, which is a beautiful picture of surrender of the whole self. Not saying, like, I'm going to segment this part of my life and this part of my life. And so he surrenders everything where he says, we're going we're gonna to praise God when we win, and we're going to praise God when we lose. And wouldn't you know it, the moment they start like praying before games and taking stands for what they believe in and standing up for what uh, they think God's word is right, wouldn't you know it, they start to win games. And, and, and the season kind of heads where like, they're doing really good. And then the moment of trial comes, and they lose a game, and they have a decision to make. Are they going to 
praise God when they lose as well as when they win. They get together and they pray. And uh, they're all disappointed because their season was over because they lost. And then they get a phone call the next day that the other team had ineligible players. And wouldn't you know it, they're able to go to the state championship game. And they're going against this team. It's a real David versus Goliath story. And they're able to go against this team. And the other coach looks like a cartoon version of a football coach villain. And he's on the other, he's on the sidelines. He's, he's a real big guy. And he's just got like a dumb, dumb sucker in his mouth the whole game that he's sucking on and spinning it and like, I'm so good. And they even got the former university of football coach, Mark Rick, to come in and like, hey, you're going to do great. Let me stop in the locker room and give you a pep talk. And uh, somehow, somehow, they go to the, the last few seconds of the game, and they drive the ball down the field, and there's all these miracles that take place. I would maybe argue that God might not be meddling in the midst of high school football games. I don't know, though. I, that's not a theological stance. I'm going I'm to be willing to take firm. Uh, but all these things happen, and they get down to the, uh, the, the, the red zone, and there's like three seconds left, and they're like going back and forth. And they're like, there's time. We could do a Hail Mary. Uh, no, it's not the red zone because that's a big part of the movie. Sorry, not a big football guy. Uh, they get to their side of the field, though, if I'm doing my math correctly. Maybe not because it's a 51-yard field goal, which means they would be on the 41-yard line. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so they're on the 41-yard line, and they're like, we can do a Hail Mary. And they're like, no, we got to kick a field goal. And, um, and they're like this puny kicker, like the whole storyline is how he's not a good kicker. He's like, he doesn't have it in him. And they're like, hey, get the kicker in here. And so he runs up and he's like, coach, I can't do it. My longest before this is like 30 some yards. This is 51 yards. I'm never going to be able to do it. And uh, they're like, no, you can do it. Do you believe that through God, all things are possible? And the guy's like, yeah, I, I, I do believe that, but I can't do it. And so they go, all right, you're going to kick it. And he lines up for the field goal, and you could tell he's nervous. You could tell he's nervous. And the coach is looking at the villain coach with the sucker in his mouth. He's like, call a timeout. Call a timeout. Call a timeout. And he goes, and the, it's, it's the cheesiest line in the whole movie. And they're like, he's never going to be able to make it. And the guy's like, yeah, let's ice him anyway. Let's ice him anyways. Call a timeout. And he calls a timeout. And so they, uh, they get to go down to him. And here's the kicker for all of this. Inside of this movie, the kicker, his dad is in a wheelchair, okay? And which is, again, fine, but uh, he, he tries to get his attention from the sideline, and so he goes down to the end of the end zone, and he's at the end of the end zone, and uh, he, it's not like completely wheelchair boundary, but he just has no like real use of his legs. But he's, he's, he gets down to the other end, and he locks his wheelchair brakes, and he stands up, and he does, he does this at the bottom of the thing so that his kid can see him. And everything slows down into slow motion at this point, okay? And, uh, and he's looking, and he's looking around like, I need my dad's encouragement. Where's my dad? And he looks over at where he was, empty. And then he looks down, and he sees his dad standing up out of his wheelchair, doing the, doing the field goal. And, and all of a sudden, the flags that are on the, on the, on the goalposts start waving. And the coach is like, 
kick it now, kick it now. And, and the guy sees his dad stand, and he runs, and he kicks it so hard that he flops over on his back, and, he, uh, and it goes just barely through the uprights, and this team wins the game. Oh, and the best part was, this has nothing to do with anything, but the best part was like the guy comes up, and he, he's at the guy standing, like, sir, do you need help? Because he's clearly struggling. He's like, no, I'm standing for my son. And, uh, and I'm like, okay. And he kicks it, and they win, and uh, the whole place erupts, and the, the villain team is like, <coughs> I don't know if we call it a villain team. They're a bunch of high school kids. You can't paint them. They're fine. They didn't do anything wrong. Um, <coughs> But they're like, no, how did they beat us? Our school's twice as big as we, all of that stuff. And they win the game. And then the post-game, uh, the post-game uh, locker room thing is like, do you believe through God all things possible? We stopped him at the goal line. We did this. And through God all things are possible. And at some point, at some point, the reality of life has to come face to face with the Disneyfied version of our faith. That we can have all of the right inputs, that we can say the right things, that we can do the right things, that we can believe the right things, and then the output, the outcome of that situation is peril. Because, yes, there will be moments where we get to celebrate with one another God's goodness. And there will be moments where we get to go, can you believe what God allowed to happen? Or however you want to look at it, can you believe this is incredible and let's celebrate. But that will not be 100% of the time. And as our culture becomes increasingly, uh, back in the 50s, uh, the Christian thing was just like a social norm. And I think for some reasons for the better and for some reasons for the worse, there's this stripping off of that where it's like uh, it's not a social norm to be a Jesus follower anymore. And in some ways you refine the dross off the top and in some ways uh, people are really combative to us. But that's nothing new. But at some point we have to merge those two realities, the lived reality of hardship and pain and suffering and then the reality of we've done all the right things. We have this cognitive dissonance of doing the right things and getting an outcome that we don't expect. We don't win the state championship game. We don't, everything doesn't go picture perfect according to plan. And I think Stephen gives us a really, really good picture of this. Stephen, he rightly handled God's word. Like he gave a master class in gospel contextualization and saying this is what God's truth means to you, leaders of the Sanhedrin, in this moment. He, he's standing up for God's truth. He's not going to be walked all over. And, and he's full of wisdom and he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's doing all of the right things. And what is the outcome for him? Death. Death. Not just death but like a painful, agonizing death. 
The Christian faith is full of stories like this. You have the story of Stephen, who was martyred. You have the story of John the Baptist, who was always getting up in people's business, telling them uh, of what it looked like to follow God, doing all of the right things. What happened to him? He was beheaded. Took his head off for a birthday present. You have uh, people who followed Jesus in the time of uh, Emperor Nero, who was like vehemently against Jesus' followers. Hated them. What did he do? He said, okay, you want to follow Jesus? I'm going to uh, throw these giant soirees, but they're going to go way late into the night. And so we need some lantern fire to light up the parties. So you want to, you want to follow Jesus? You want to be a professing Christian? Great. I'll tie you to the top of a post, and we'll burn you alive. That'll light our parties for us. I think of people like Jim Elliott and Nate Saint, Ed McCauley, Pete Fleming, Roger uh, Uterian, who uh, in, in the mid-1500s, uh, sorry, 1900s, I was trying to say 1950s, but uh, was trying to reach uh, uh, people in Ecuador. And so they began making contact and taking the good news of the gospel to this tribe that had been isolated. And uh, what happened? What happened? Uh, they, they make first contact, and they all die. The, God, time out. They were trying to be faithful to, to you. you they, they took your good news to people who needed it. Even someone like John Wycliffe, I was reading this week. Uh, Wycliffe, um, during the uh, 14th century, uh, had a firm belief that the Bible, God's word, should be accessible to people in their own language. That there, we shouldn't have to jump through hoops to understand and follow God's word. And so he began translating. He began this work of translating into the common tongue. And uh, the Catholic Church did not like this. And they said, nope, you can't go touching that. That's God's word. You've got to be careful with it. And so um, he actually, before the church could do anything, he actually suffered a stroke um, and died. It's a weird happenstance. But the church was so angry at what he had done. 44 years later, they exhumed his body so that his bones could be burnt. We have all the right inputs, but the outputs don't compute. What I love uh, about what several of the ladies reminded us of, though, is that uh, nowhere in God's word are we promised like an easy, idyllic, pain-free life. In fact, all accounts point towards other word, otherwise. And it might not for us, it, it, it might. There might be a situation where it comes down between you professing Jesus and, and uh, being put to death or denying him and being allowed to live. I don't know. I don't know where circumstances will take us. That might be a reality that we have to live through. But it might not be death. It might be uh, the martyrdom that you have to experience. Uh, it might be a loss of business. It might be a loss of relationships. It might be sacrificing or a loss of your personal time. It might be a loss of comfort. But the reality that we have to come face to face with this morning is that, like, like I said, nowhere in Scripture are we promised this idyllic, pain-free life. But we, what are we promised? We are promised God's presence. Here's the thing that I keep coming back to. Paul said it, which is so wild that I'm quoting Paul 
in the midst of, uh, where's it at? Verse, end of chapter uh, 7. And Saul, who's going to turn into Paul, Saul approved of their killing Stephen. And here's what he later, post-conversion, says to the church in Philippi. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. This is the, this is the sentence that gets me. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. And that is the mentality, and that is the attitude that will allow us to endure this hardship, that will allow us to have all the right inputs and have really, really terrible outputs. But when we begin to understand that it is everything, name something, and it is garbage, rubbish, compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. A life of following Jesus is never promised to be good by the earthly standards that we see defined around us. But what I want to encourage us of this morning is to take the standards and just chuck them. We don't need them anymore. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. You, you name anything and, and I can fill in the blank uh, with why Jesus is better. Stephen knew that, the martyrs we talked about knew that, that knowing Jesus, Jesus is the ultimate good, God is the ultimate good, and knowing him is better. David knew this, he wrote the, uh, the, when he wrote the 23rd Psalm that we talked about uh, all the last couple days. It says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Nothing compares to God's presence in our lives. And so even in the moments when we're faced with the, the hardship and the really ugly, hurtful, painful, broken things, we don't have to fear because God is with us. And whatever comes against us, we know that... Here, here's a story, okay? I, I heard one of my good friends share this uh, a couple weeks ago. There was this uh, guy that was uh, traveling on a vacation, and his wife was in the car in front of him with several other kids, and um, uh, got hit by a, a semi-truck, and it was instantaneous. They passed away. And so their family ripped apart. It was ugly. It's horrific. It's, it's painful. So they're, him and the kids that are uh, remaining are on their way to the funeral, and the dad's just trying to make sense of the world that they're left with. And they come up to a, a stoplight, and they see uh, a semi-truck next to them. The sun's casting a shadow on it. And the, the, the dad says, kids, if you had to pick between those two, what would you want to get hit with? The truck? the shadow? The obvious answer is the shadow. And he says, it might be painful right now that mom's gone. It might be painful. We've been faithful. We've done all the right things. It might be painful, but it's just a shadow. And that's the hope of Jesus. That's the hope of Jesus. That's, that's what Easter is all about. That whatever hardship or pain or suffering that we endure in this life, it's just a shadow because of the work of Jesus on the cross. 
Isaiah was talking about this uh, when he was talking to Israel and the future hope that they had because of Jesus. And he says this in Isaiah 54. He says, no weapon forged against you will prevail or prosper. And so, yeah, there might, there might be stuff that hurts and there might be pain that you have to walk through even in the most faithful times of your life. I can't promise pain-free, but what I can promise is Jesus is more enduring than the weapons that are against you. Yeah, they might hurt for a little bit. The sorrow may uh, last for the night, but the joy comes in the morning. And so how do we have this type of courage in the face of unimaginable circumstances? How do we do it? What did Stephen do? He kept his eyes on Jesus. When the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious and they gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. A life with Jesus, a life reconnected and reunited with our maker, that is the ultimate reward. And in some respects, we don't have to wait till eternity for that. We can have that life with Jesus here and now. And so I just want to encourage you today. I want to encourage you. Some of us in this room are walking through ugly. We're walking through hard and painful, but I don't want us to ever interpret those results as the result of being unfaithful. You can do all of it. You can spend time with God. You can, you can have a, a regimented uh, prayer life and, and time of listening and time in scripture and time of worship and time of fellowship. You can do all the right things and your life can just stink. But like Paul said, I consider it all garbage compared to the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So take heart, church. Take heart. When it's ugly, when it's hard, when it's difficult, when it feels like it's too much to bear, that the presence of God is with you just as much there as he is now. Psalms talk about where can I uh, go from your presence? Where can I flee from you? If I go here, you're there. If I go here, you're there. There's nowhere where you are not. So when you face hard, when it's painful, I don't want to minimize what you're going through, but I also want to encourage you that Jesus is there in the midst of the pain. And it's been a journey that has been trekked by many people before you, and God has gotten them through it. God got Stephen through it. Stephen's reward was waiting for him at the other side. The, the, the son of man is standing at the right hand of the father. I just imagine applauding him, bringing him home, saying, well done, good and faithful servant. God's presence is there, and that's what it takes for us to endure those hard times. Psalm 16 talks about, in your presence, God, there is fullness of joy. So I want to close uh, singing about that relationship we have with God. 
uh, singing about that communion we can have even in the midst of hard things. Let me pray for us. God, you are so good. Your presence is so sweet. But we acknowledge that our lives don't always feel sweet. And so for those of us in this room who are walking through hardship right now, will you just, just another layer, Lord, by your grace, will you open up our eyes just a little bit more to your presence, to how good you are, to how sweet you are. Lord, uh, will you, by your grace, even in the midst of pain, allow that presence to be felt so intimately and closely. God, we acknowledge the fact that there's nowhere we, where we can go that you aren't. Our lives are for you. We love you deeply. Let's call these things in your precious, holy name.